Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us with another episode of Second Chances. My name is Lulu Cameron. I am the founder of South Carolina for Restorative Justice, and I have my host, Makini Marsden, who is also the founder of Bittersweet um, Consulting. And today we have a very powerful um, episode. We're talking about the impacts of incarceration on the family. And we have a wonderful guest, uh, Sheila Bruno, uh, wife after prison. And so I just wanted to open us up and basically say that if you know someone who has served an extended period of time in prison or jail, you're probably aware of how that experience changed that person from what you might have known them to be before. The psychological effects of incarceration on a person can be life altering, and as well as to those people that they're connected with. When someone is in prison, they get used to the conditions as harmful and as abusive as they can be at times. The conditions can be, um, they can begin to kind of like wear on a person and create depression and anxiety and cause them to have experiences with paranoia and pessimism and lack of motivation to do constructive activities. Incarcerated people are forced to deal with the effects of trauma on a daily basis, whether it is the threat of being punished by others' behavior, a control mechanism employed by prison officials to refer to mass punishment, or encounters with antagonistic guards or other incarcerated persons. All of this is the absence in the absence of being provided therapeutic programming to address pre-incarceration trauma. People imprisoned are often left to their own psychological and emotional vices, which are subject to be expressed through maladjusted behaviors such as aggression, anger, frustration, withdrawal, and long terms of solitary confinement have been shown to contribute to the negative psychological effects and maladjusted behavior patterns of incarceration. If someone experiences, if someone experiences these struggles during or after their prison sentence, they may have a disorder called post-incarceration incarceration syndrome. We are here today with guests Sheila Bruno and hopefully Jacquel Durham, um, and we will unpack the impacts of trauma that is caused through incarceration on the families. Thank you, Ms. Sheila, for being on the show tonight. Um, tell us your experience with your incarcerated loved one and how it moved you to be in your current space. Okay. Can you guys hear me? Can you hear me? Okay, great. Yeah. Um, uh, first, 
thank you for having me on here. And as you say, my name is Sheila Bruno. I'm the founder of Wife After Prison, a nonprofit organization that was created to raise awareness of the psychological impact of incarceration. I'm also the author of Wife After Prison, uh, called In the Aftermath. And I came into this space uh, uh, back in 2017, 2014, I reconnected with my high school sweetheart and uh, he had been incarcerated for 28 years. And 53 days later, uh, we got married. And this is what I need uh, the audience to understand because if you stop at the fact that I married him after 53 days, you're gonna miss the message. You're going to miss the message. So I'm asking you to move past that. She married him in 53 days. I did. I did. And within going into the third year of my marriage, he became barely recognizable. And what he was dealing with is what Lulu talked about is the post-incarceration syndrome. Uh, post-incarceration syndrome is a set of mental disorders that occur in those who are currently incarcerated those released, most of being those who have spent a lot of time in solitary confinement. Again, like I said, Kevin became unrecognizable, so much so that uh, it sent me into uh, uh, a mental space, a mental head space, very, very uncomfortable. And so I needed support. I needed support to deal with this, what, ha what has happened to my own amazing husband. He was amazing. A lot of people envied our relationship, right? But uh, when he began to display uh, the, the behaviors of post-incarceration syndrome, he turned and I said, you know, he no longer treated me like his soulmate. He began to treat me like his most hated cellmate. And so again, I needed support, couldn't find support. And so I created what I needed. I created, created Wife After Prison uh, support group so that I can educate people on uh, the psychological impact of incarceration. So that's what I do. And that's, that's my passion. And again, when I started uh, talking about it, I realized that there was a lot of me too's out there, but not a lot of people talking about it because they really didn't have any, they don't have a knowledge, any knowledge. That's why I'm, I'm so honored to be on this platform today to give voice to the psychological impact of incarceration. Thank you for sharing. And were there any signs in his behavior that alerted you um, or maybe that you saw and kind of ignored until it grew into something, manifested in something bigger where you couldn't ignore it anymore? Absolutely. You know, in the beginning, it was just small things, you know, uh, like, because uh, again, he had been incarcerated for 28 years. And mm -hmm. so it was just small things like going into the drawer and leaving it open, going into the cabinet and leaving it open, just a lot of incompletes. Mm -hmm. And so I, I mentioned it to him, you know, because I would just go back behind him and shed it. And I mentioned it one day and I said, do you, uh, I said, do you know you have a habit of leaving the drawers open and leaving the cabinet open? And I said, I just go back and, and I'll close it. And he said, no, don't do it for me. Don't do that for me. Because he realized that 
for 28 years, he didn't have to open and close a cabinet. For 28 years, he didn't have to shut a drawer. So it's the things that we take for granted, right? It's mm-hmm. the things that we take for granted, even and uh, speaking with another wife. She was so frustrated at her loved one because she said, um, every time he comes cuts uh, every time he comes out of that room, he doesn't cut that light off. And I said, ma'am, how long was he gone? And she said, 25 years. In 25 years, he hadn't had to cut off a light, right? Mm-hmm. So these are things that we take for granted. Yes. And we just we just think it's normal. No, it's not normal. So it was just things. And then uh, Kevin would get irritated by the least little things. Just, you know, just he can't find. I may have moved his phone or moved something. And it was just blow up to something big. I'm like, yeah. I just moved your phone from the counter to the other side of the counter. You know, so it was the outburst of anger and the rage you know i mean just and then the isolation and that's what uh uh mckinney you asked me about physical abuse there wasn't any physical abuse but that psychological abuse because there's isolation they can shut down on you Mm. and go ahead I think, you know, a lot of people who have incarcerated loved ones, they don't accept the fact that the little subtleties that we take for granted are are big deals. You know what I mean? Um, Just being able to go into the kitchen and get your own glass and 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 prepare your own meal at the stove or, you know, sit down with your family and take as much time as you want to to have that meal. I think that those are a lot of things that people don't take into consideration and people see it as a success. Like you said, as if they hop back out into society and they get them a job and they're working. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't really, there isn't, you know, we, we've kind of touched basis on this in a prior conversation. There really isn't anybody checking for a person's mental head space right. and, and, and unpacking the trauma that they might have associated with being incarcerated for an extended period of time or a short period of time. I know a lot of people who I work with who are incarcerated, they're more negatively impacted by the violence and trauma that they've experienced in prison that stacked on top of their pre-prison trauma. However, whatever brought them to this place to actually be in prison or commit a crime. Right. And, and there's never a point in when we're checking to see, you know, how that kind of works out. And so it, it makes it really difficult for people, especially um, you're coming out into your family and people who love and care for you, but they're not perfect. They're people mm-hmm. who have their own issues. They mm-hmm. got their own things with them. And, and, you know, and it's like, we all have to learn how to unpack with our loved ones who are incarcerated and returning home in a way that's healthy for all of us. Right. And one of the things that I tell the ladies in the group, you know, have you considered the trauma? You just got it. You just he loves me and I love him. But have you considered the trauma? Do you even know what type of trauma he had at a childhood? Because there is a high percentage of uh, incarcerated individuals that had some type of adverse childhood experience 
that set the pipeline that yeah. led them to prison. So do you even know what type of uh, pre-incarceration trauma he's had? Prison in itself, incarceration in itself is traumatic. Have you had that conversation with him? And a lot of times we don't. We don't, mm -hmm. we don't know. All we know is he my boo, mm -hmm. baby. You need to know and you have to be, if you have these conversations and let them know, baby, I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm not putting you down. I'm just getting some information, you know, so that I can get the tools that we need, we need so that you can even start striving on the inside. You don't have to wait till you get out. Start doing the work now. Start giving, giving them the tools now because I'm telling you, trauma undealt with is going to come up again. And see, mm -hmm. that's what happened with Kevin. Kevin had so much pre-incarceration trauma, so much trauma. And then he goes to prison. He sees his friend, his, his best buddy in prison, gets stabbed over 30 times. He had to walk over his blood. He gets back to cell and realize that the blood is on his shoe. There's so many things that they experience in prison that we will never know about because they mm -hmm. won't talk about it, right? Mm -hmm. But it's trauma and trauma undealt with, it's going to come out again. It's just like taking some uh, a, a pipe. You know what they say about the pipe. You put all that pressure in that pipe, it's going to burst. So you got your pre-incarceration trauma. You got your incarceration trauma. Then there's post-incarceration trauma. You never dealt with any of that. Guess what? Eventually, it's going to come out. And it's not going to come out pretty. Yeah. And, and most definitely, a lot of what happens pre-incarceration has to do with our familial ties. And so what, what, what I see happen a lot of times is people have things that have happened to them in their families. People have things that have happened to them by their siblings or their extended family members. And um, for some reason in the black community, we just feel like it's not important to address mental health. And so mm -hmm. uh, we feel like, you know, time heals all things. Yes, I might forget how much you hurt me or I might not even really be fully aware of the pain and the trauma that you've inflicted upon me. And so it's like we try to pack it away and it's like, oh, but I love them. We're here for each other. And then a person gets out and all it takes is those, you know, a trigger. So right. I bring it up. That's it. Something to bring it up and that's bring it, it out and then, right. you know, that's something. Yeah. And it was some things that Kevin experienced as uh, the age of six molestation. And he had never said that to anybody about mm -hmm. that, even his parents. I was the first person that he told about that. And then, he, you know, Kevin stood six, three, and he always stood out. So there was a lot of bullying uh, that he dealt with. He was just, he's just a gentle giant, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of that really, really infect, in, affected him negatively. And I found out, you know, there was, there's some things, you know, he didn't have the, the, the that connection with his father that he wanted. And his, you know, his father would make him feel some type of way, right? Mm -hmm. Really, really, you know, unwanted, unloved. And I'm sure his dad loved him in his own way, the way, you know, and so I would begin to say when, when things got a little rough between us, I would say stuff that made him think it was familiar with the way his dad made him feel. 
So mm -hmm. that was a trigger. Yeah. yeah. Same feeling. 40 years later, but it was a trigger. And so that another thing as family members, we have to know what to say because words matter when talking mm -hmm. to our loved ones from prison. We can't call them no punk. You can't call them the B word. Can't do none of that. And one of the things that I learned with Kevin also is, you know, they've been told what to do for so many years, when to go to bed, when to get up, when to go to shower, when to go to wreck, all of that. And so when we when they come out and we ask, do this, do that, a lot of times you hear, oh, now you the ward. You the ward now. So <laughs> what I had to learn is instead of saying, can you do this? I had to phrase it differently and say, do you mind? And when I say, do you mind? I got a different response because I'm giving him options, not telling mm -hmm. him what to do. So mm -hmm. yeah. do you mind stopping at Walmart to get some paper towel? Oh, okay, baby, I'll do that for you. You know, but other than that, if you say stop at Walmart, and get, okay, now you're trying to tell me what to do. So, yeah. you know, we really have to be educated on how you know, we, we, we say different things to our loved ones. Yeah, I got a trigger for that. Mm. And I haven't even experienced any incarceration. You tell me something to do. It's just like, who are you to be telling me what to do? You know, you ask me and I'll let you know I'm if sure. I'm able to do it. And and so I have my own things. And, you know, yes. just like you said, yeah. you have loved ones who are incarcerated and they have in their mental health things going on and their traumas and their triggers. And then here we are having experienced so much life Right. Um, so much pain, hurt, you know, we would love to be like everybody just lived a, a lovely life and, and all was well. But, you know, you have things that have happened to you along the way right. that have shaped your personality into who you are today. And, you know, for me, um, someone yelling at me or, you know, just kind of making me feel little is like an immediate like attack yeah. dog type of response from me yeah. regardless right. of what was implied. It could have been so, something small or simple, but I would, right. you know, just yeah. go in. So, and, 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 yeah, and that's actually... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Sheila. No, I was just saying as family members, we have to, we have to you know, get out of uh, get it out of our head that because they have been incarcerated, they got all the problems. We we tend to look at them like they got all oh, he been locked up and da 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 da. No, baby. No, 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 no. You got your own drama trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to be willing to look at you because I had to be look, willing to look at me. Kevin used to say, You need to go get you some help. And I was like, I ain't got, I ain't been to prison. I ain't even been to jail. So I don't need no help. But as, you know, the friction and all of the chaos behavior, you know, uh, the pollution in the house began to take a toll on me. I was like, you know what, chick? You better go make a appointment with somebody. And I'm so mm -hmm. glad that I did because it was the best thing for me. For That's me. I'm glad you actually yeah. said that because I was going to ask you what was the turning point for both you and your husband where you had to look at yourself and say, I need to sit down with somebody because the first step to healing is acknowledgement. Right. And so, again, you know, I was ingesting all of these sleeping pills. I had them on. Uh, and I, when I went to the store, I didn't buy one bottle. 
I would buy like three bottles. And I'm telling you, six, seven pills a day going through bottles of wine just to norm because I'm I, I needed to norm this. And because the deal is this. Like I said, I did marry in 53 days. I'm all on social media. We didn't reconnect it. It's so wonderful. And now here it is, this fairy tale then turned, you know, to this really, really ugly situation. And so I, uh, I had to go and talk to somebody. And when I did, you know, uh, you know, I, she let me talk about Kevin and our experience and all of that. And she gave me some feedback and I was like, yeah, I like her. She going to tell me how to deal with him. But that second visit, she said, nah, not today. We're not going to talk about Kevin today. We're going to talk about Sheila today. We're going to let Kevin stay on his side of the street with his counselor. You stay over here with me. If you guys decide y'all want to come together, then you can do that. You know, so she showed she showed me me and what she showed me me was so accurate. Mm. It was very, very accurate. You know, somebody that don't even know me, but look at me. And uh, I remember I was saying something about the way he folded the tiles. He folded the tiles so big and this, he, I was just putting everything, every little small, just didn't even matter. And she told me, she said, look at that file cabinet and read the third draw down. And it was a little sticker on there. And the sticker said, how important is it? <laughs> and I, and I was, and she said, read it. Now it's like, how important is it? She said, read it again. How important is it? <laughs> I read it again. How important is it? And then I got it. Sheila, how important is some of the things that you nag about? Because you got a house here and it was just set up like a model home. So I just wanted everything. Everything needs to be in his in this place. So mm -hmm. if he moved something and he didn't put it back, I had a problem with that. And I had to start saying, how important, if the man moved the, the thing over here, Sheila, how important is it? But I was triggering something in him. Mm. I was triggering something in the experience that he had on the inside. You don't move nobody's stuff on mm. the inside. Yeah. So it was things like that. So we have to be willing to look at ourselves. Say, so we ain't got it all together. So you just don't be looking at them. So what was the uh, the end all be all? Like what caused the split? Where you guys both said that, okay, we, we did this and we're going to go our separate ways, even with the therapy. So um, everything when Kevin... You know, he continued therapy and she was giving him some tools. And, and I'm going to come back to Arrested Development. Please allow me to come back and talk about that. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it was, uh, she had given him some tools to, to use. And I had always been into personal development. And so I began to work on myself. And then it was one day I was going to file for divorce. I said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Uh, and then I thought, started thinking about, and it's a chapter in my book, Monsters Under My Bed. And mm. it, 
And it was about all of the things that he had experienced going to prison. You know, Kevin went to prison back in the 80s. And when they got off the bus, they would be sprayed with bug spray under their arms, under their private parts, you know. And, and, and let me tell you something, guys. When you go to visit your loved one, before they come out and they start down smiling, they have ha- had to go through something going in and coming out. They had to drop their pants, bend over, spread their cheeks every time. So that's humiliating. That's trauma. Right. And so I started reading all of the things that he went through. And I said, you know what? I need to give this another shot. I'm not going to file for divorce today. And we started working on our our we we stopped attacking one another and we started attacking the problem, which was mental health. But again, like I told you, ladies, before, when you stop doing the work, you can't stop doing the work. And not when you had so much trauma in your life. And so um, last year, yeah, 2021, I filed for divorce in April because I said, I can't allow Sheila to go through this again because he stopped doing the work. And I saw the behaviors coming back, the uh, outrage, the uh, outrage, the anger, and uh, aggression. I saw all of that coming back. And I said, nah, I ain't putting another sleeping pill in my mouth unless I want to. And right now I don't want to. And so I decided, you know, I filed for a divorce and people was like, just because he he did it. Yes. Yes. My sanity means so much to me mm-hmm. and yours should too. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you do not set healthy boundaries, do not set healthy boundaries. Our loved ones have learned behavior. They will come home and turn your otherwise peaceful environment and something that's very toxic and polluted. I can't tell you the number of women who have said, I was happiest when he was in prison. I was happiest when he was in prison. Do you think that people are, when people say stuff like that, like I was happiest when he was in prison, um, because, you know, a part of me, I see some dis- disillusion within some women. And I don't know if, you know, any anyone else has experienced this where it's like you're so infatuated with the person because, you know, people on the outside do not have this time to invest they do not have this time to listen and pay attention to your details because they're working, going 100 miles an hour, trying to maintain themselves. And and for a person who has relationship with someone who is incarcerated, um, you know, beyond just like a brother or sister, you know, more like a man or woman and, you know, marriage or relationship that you're trying to maintain, um, a lot of times... I, I hear people, you know, really infatuated with people being available for them and for their needs. And then when they get out, it's like they have to adhere to their own needs as well. And then it becomes an issue. Um, and then I guess it's just, you know, 
you hear so many whole, you know, you hear so many different stories and I know that you've shared some with us, but if you, you know, you feel um, open enough to share some of the experiences that you've had because people just didn't open their eyes in regards to, you know, what was the truth about right. their situation. Right. So there's so many stories. And I used to, when I first started the work, I used to, you know, of course, I would just counsel with women and just, and I used to keep a log of how many people I talked to and whatever. And it got to the point, I was like, uh, I, I can't keep, because the list was so long. Mm -hmm. And everybody, you know, had their story. And my thing is this, you know, post-incarceration does not discriminate. Even, you know, I've been on platforms in Australia and in um, Australia was another country or whatever, different country, same behavior, mm -hmm. right? And so as for the women who are saying I was happiest when he was in prison. I understand. I get it. A lot of times now when I talk to women, you ain't even got to tell me. I can tell you exactly what you're going through in your household, right? Because again, they come home with this. This is all they know. This is what they've been doing for all these years. And again, they come home and they bring it. And you're trying to... You're trying to support. You letting him do whatever because he just come home, but you're suffering. That's mm -hmm. that vicarious trauma that I went through because you, you don't want to cause no friction. So you keep your mouth shut. You got all of it. It's all in your head about to drive you crazy because if you say you don't know what to say to him. I walked on eggshells. Mm. Sometimes it would take me three days to get one sentence. Well, I need to take that word out because if I say it this way, he might think this. So I'm going to put this word. That right there is mentally draining. Yeah. And so, so it is. You know, even, it, and I'm not talking just an intimate relationship. Even mothers have cried out that I don't know my son. Mm -hmm. I can't talk to my son. Sisters have said, this is not my brother. This is not my brother. So what we have to really understand, y'all, I got, you got to understand that prison has side effects, just like the side effects of prescription medicine. Prison has side effects. Educate yourself. You got to do the work. Yeah. You got to educate yourself on the post-incarceration syndrome, the different symptoms, so you'll know when something happens. When he goes to, you know, uh, isolating himself, he don't want to be with you. Kevin used to come home from work, get out that truck, go in that office and stay in that office all night long. Social sensory deprivation syndrome. So wow. you need to educate yourself. Do you think, yeah. and, I, and, I'll, and I'll let McKinney have some time, but do you think um, after speaking with my incarcerated loved one, basically we identify some areas in which you may already see these symptoms, right? You may already see those signs. And is it possible if you are acknowledging them and you can already see them, that it's something that you can already start to work through? I mean, is that, you know, is yeah. that 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And my thing is this, don't try to paint them red flags white. It is what it is. Is it red? It's red. Don't try mm-hmm. to paint it white. You know what I'm saying? You have to address it and deal with it. And the internet is such a powerful tool because there's so much information out there. One of the things, one of the uh, exercises that I created for some guys on the inside, it's a coping skill. It's a coping skill assessment. Tell me how you was coping pre-incarceration, mm-hmm. right? Tell me how you, and I have a list of negative coping skills. Tell me how you coping incarceration. And if, you know, you you have all these negatives pre-incarcerated and then they still negative, what you think coming out that back gate? So what you have to do is give them coping skills tools. Give them coping things to do. Mm-hmm. When you feel like this, do this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have to give them tools. And, and, and it's just simple as that. You have to give them tools to start working on themselves now. And if they do the work, you're going to see it. But my thing again, get a head start on this thing. Don't just come walk, walking out this gate talking about you're going to work on yourself. Now, partner, you ain't going to work on yourself. You're going to be too busy trying to get, I got to get a job. I got to provide for my family. And, okay, and when you don't get this job, how you gonna cope? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what about the component of touch? You know, it's just <laughs> you know, Kevin and I did a segment one time called "Let's Talk About Sex" because I had so many women saying <laughs> he been home two weeks and he ain't even touched me. Or he's been home a month and he's never touched me. And so what Kevin has said to him was, you know, uh, in prison, magazines is a high commodity. So a lot of them got satisfied through watching a magazine, right? And so when they come home, that's what they're used to. They don't know what to do with this body laying here, right? And I even had one lady to tell me, you know, her and her husband had been intimate. And then after that, he'd sit up on side the bed and start pleasing himself. And she was like, what, what, you know, what? And he just turned to her in a very aggressive manner and said, you got yours. I got to get mine how I'm used to getting it. Wow. Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. We can hear you. No, can't no, hear no I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, can you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my and goodness. You know what? It was one guy. One guy had I had met with a group of guys who had came home. I had a meeting with him and uh, I was getting ready to lead a meeting. And the one guy said, Miss Bruno, hey, let me holler at you. And he said, tell those women in your group that it's a, it's a po- high uh, probability that their loved ones or uh, their loved ones are messing with person. And then uh and then two weeks later, you know, I had some members tell me that they had husbands had been messing with prostitutes. And the thing is, and I was like, well why was that? He said, because sometimes they talk about their performance. 
They talk about their performance, what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, did, 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 and they get home and they're not performing up to par. And but they go get with a prostitute. She don't know nothing about his performance. All she wants is her money, and he just want to be satisfied. Wow, I'm just sitting here with my mouth mm -hmm. open, and I feel for uh, Jaquel who just chimed in with us. He's just walking in on this conversation. Um, that that is. But Katie, do you have anything? Um, like, well, I don't even um, have. <clears throat> I will say this is exactly why they need to reinforce the family reunion programs in all facilities statewide, um, so that they can start rehabilitating themselves and learning how to be a little more intimate with their families. Yeah. I mean, uh, because it's different on this end when you do have those kinds of programs in place. Um, so I couldn't imagine being one of those ladies, you know, right. and having to watch their spouse go through that because that's traumatic in itself. Right. You know, right. even for the wife to sit there and watch their yeah. husband. Right. In that state of mind. Right. Right. Well, let let me um, introduce Jaquel Durham. He's the director of Southern Prison Culture, and um, I'll, I'll show us a snippet of of his his most recent um, documentary trailer in just a moment. But let's give him an opportunity to kind of chime in and 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 tell us how he, as someone who has had a parent um, incarcerated, has um, been impacted by your parents' incarceration. Yeah, uh, thanks a little. And um, uh, my apologies for my for my tardiness. Um, schedule schedule been changing so much lately nowadays. But um, but yeah, I uh, my name is Jaquam. I'm from South Carolina. Um, and my both my parents actually have spent time incarcerated. My father, who um, spent um, my my father. Went to prison when I was 11 and came home when I graduated college. Actually came home early, uh, but he was sentenced to 20 years for manufacturing distribution of crack cocaine. Uh, my mother went to prison when I was uh, young. She did two years in a felony prison. She's re um, registered as a felon, uh, felon felony. Um, um, but yeah, I, 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 this passion of mine I, I, has grown so much over the years. Uh, I consider myself as a prison abolitionist in, in the sense that I don't believe as prison as the primary mechanism for punishment. Um, and, I, and I do take mental health very serious. So I do think that a lot of acts that are committed by people stems from poverty, mental health, um, a lot of other root, it, root issues that this country and fails to acknowledge because we, you know, not we, but they, want to um, incarcerate our way out of issues that that goes on in this in this world and so um, and so yes yeah, so I, I while in college I um, focus on mass incarceration I, I went to Brazil and focus on yeah. the cost uh, prison systems in Brazil uh, looking at afro-brazilians and how those are similar to uh, how their facilities and issues are similar to what we deal with here in the United States um, and I just realized that black people are not safe anywhere on this planet um, because the situations that Afro-Brazilians are facing um, and even going to the Middle East and traveling there and looking at talking to those people about incarceration there, 
again, black people are safe nowhere in this country because we seem to be incarcerated um, at high rates, no matter where you look or where you are. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I recently filmed um, my first episode of uh, one out of six episodes of my prison documentary, Southern Prison Culture. And um, I will say going, filming that project actually has opened my eyes to a lot of different things um, about prison and how I view prison, how I look at prison. Um, and just, I'm, I'm really excited about the project. Um, my first project that I've actually um, directed and it's, one, it's actually one of, mil, one of many actually. So I'm at this point where I'm taking my, my talents and my passion of being an activist, being an organizer at such a young age. And now is I think my, my mission in this world on this earth is to put that you know I, i've been given blessed and fortunate to be given a platform to put it in the, in 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 the, in the major media outlets and so Good. that's what i'm doing and i and i think that's amazing um but we're not gonna let you off the hook that easy right <laughs> so um i think it's great and I, you know i really admire jaquel and and everything that he's doing and any way i can help him i'm always willing but I think people need to understand as a black man what it is like for you. What what is your experience? Like how did you cope with you know your parents incarceration or your dad being away? You know, did you guys still have great relationships? What tell us a little bit what that's like for you because I think um we always try to make sure that black men are strong. And we got you. You strong. You 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 going get rid of the prison system and you're going to show these people what it is, but um, you're human also. And we want to make room for that. Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I, I think, um, you know, I was actually talking with one of my good friends who I graduated high school with and his father actually. So both of our father, both of our fathers sold drugs together. Um, and they, and we both went through all of grade school without our, our dads. And it wasn't to like recently, maybe, um, maybe a few months ago where we both sat down and we asked each other this particular question. Like, do you feel like your relationship with your dad is a lot closer, you know, was a lot closer when he was away versus, versus now, or, or do you feel, are you upset about it? Do you, are you mad at your dad for not being around? And both of our answers was no, because only thing that we missed was physical presence. Um, that was wow. it. My, my dad was, you know, you can ask my dad anything in regards to a childhood story of mine. I'm like, he he remembers some stuff that I don't even remember, but it was because we always stayed in contact. Um, you know, whether it was, and I, and I call it literature. Um, some people call them letters, but I, you know, the literature that my dad and I have, that, I, that both of us still have to this day, I actually have a shoebox full of letters from my dad. When he came home, he brought a whole netted bag, <laughs> a netted bag full of letters um, that I had wrote to him and, and I remember going through those letters and just seeing my growth as a writer. Um, I'm like, wow, yo, I was really writing, you know, thank God for growth, but you know, I'm writing these, you know, these um, letters um, from, you know, first and second grades up to college. I'm like, I, wow. I, I truly grow. Um, it, I mean, honestly, it, it could, that could be an experiment of its own to see the, the exchange or the growth of a, a writer from a young age in exchange between a parent and a, and a, and a, and a child through, you know, prison is, is something special. And I was reading a letter and almost was getting teary high, but my dad was always there. Um, 
always, we always, I mean, I tell people, even I talk to some, talk to some law students, aspiring law students, and they're like, I've never been to a prison. I'm like, how you want to be a lawyer but never been to prison? I have to think to myself, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, well, I'm like, I'm sure it's changed so much because I haven't been in one in so long, but I've been going into a prison since I was in second grade, you know, and I still can smell here the sounds and smell the things and just like it, it i mean it, it's 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 interesting but um you know i i mean it wasn't it was if anything it was difficult to deal with um just you have moments you know as, as a young black male there were moments where i wish he was there like sports you know um you know being you know playing on football and basketball and you know, you, you know, your parents not able to be there, being yelled at by another man, and you just like, yo, like, <laughs> you know, what would my pops do? You know, just he see this man yelling at his kid, you know, and so um, not being, you know, feeling defenseless, you know, no one's there to support you, no one there to, you know, tell you anything that you could be doing wrong because I'm a, I'm a grandmother's baby, so my grandmother raised me, so like, not like my grandma could take me outside and, okay, show me what I can do better and how I can shoot the basketball, how I can throw the ball better, so you you just learn on your own, and so those were moments where I wish he was around because you know, I saw all my other friends, and you know, they're leaving the gym or leaving the field with their parents or with their dad or something like that, or, you know, some of my teammates' parents, you know, their dad was the coaches, so I never got to experience that. And so I tell everyone, like, my dad never saw me play not one sporting event ever. Um, but he has the pictures um, from, like, picture day and stuff like that on newspapers. And so when I was in high school, he would get the newspaper or, like, I would cut it out and mail it to him and stuff like that. Wow. That's good. It sounds like you had a really um, supportive family system in place that kind of kept you and your father's communication together. Um, what advice would you give some of the fathers that are in prison that don't have access to their children? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you know, my, uh, I guess as I mentioned, like my, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother raised me. So um, that's kind of like how that was able to happen. You know, I think if I was raised by my mom's mom, I don't think I would, that relationship wouldn't have been there, but because my grandmother, her son was the one that was incarcerated, that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and advice to a, a, a person who is incarcerated and have children, um, I would say, that, you know, you know, kind of a cliche answer, but try to maintain that relationship and try to maintain communication um, no matter what. Um, I don't want to say what they should do, <laughs> but my dad, you know, at one point letters wasn't really necessary. Um, and so my dad did what he had to do to make sure that he maintained communication with us. Um, and I think it's one of the things that's kind of an issue in, in the facilities now, you've been able to have access to certain um, things that makes communication with family a lot easier, um, which I don't understand why any Department of Correction hasn't figured out you know that they're not going to get rid of certain devices so how about you know being able to just say okay cool we'll just allow these devices with maybe certain restrictions i don't know but you're not going to get rid of those devices at any point anytime soon so yeah. you might as well just give up it's like trying to legalize weed you know it's like <laughs> you're not going to you're not going to get rid of it you might as well make it legal 
Um, so I would say try to maintain communication at all costs. Um, but I think the main thing is important. I think um, my, my struggle has been, I haven't been able, my, as I go back to the story of my friend, I having a conversation, um, he shared something interesting with me that both of us were able to relate to. He was like, yo, like my dad and I could be in the same room for two hours and only say maybe a handful of words. And then it's like, all right, it's time to go. I'm, I'm gonna head on out. And it's like, I'm like, yo, like my dad and I, we don't talk as much as we used to. We were like, visitations, it's like three hours went by so fast because we talking so much. But it's like, now we got all the time in the world and it's like, we could be in the same space. And, you know, it's like, we, we understand and we know that the love is there, but it's like, we don't, it's like, I don't know, it's strange now. It's like, we don't talk as much. Like sometimes like, I, I'm like, man, I barely hear from my pops sometimes, you know, but we, we talk like, we don't never go without talking for weeks. But, you know, I would say when he was away, we would, you know, any moment, any time we was talking. And now it's like, I have to call my grandma, like, can you tell dad to call me? Like, he ain't call, he ain't call him, I'm trying to talk to him. Um, so I think that's probably what's more important is like, I don't know what it is. I mean, my grandmother said when my dad came home that um, her son isn't the same person she knew. Um, and so I think for a mom, for a mom to, you know, for a mom to be able to raise a person from a baby and no longer have, you know, know that that, that person's not their son anymore. Um, I think something about, you know, those being released and, you know, she would say, you know, he wakes up super early, he the he, same routine, he fix coffee, he do this, he do that. You know, and that's still my dad. And my dad, I would get to text message, my dad texts me like, I'm like, he said this at four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so I think it's the coming home thing, I think is more important. Like, you know, yeah. how do you maintain that consistent communication once they're home? Because I think the thirst for communication is there while they're there. But I think it's, you know, after they come home, how do you still maintain a level of communication as if you, you know, you're not able to be in same proximity? Right. And we, we spend a lot of time and I, I can let Miss Sheila chime in. We spend a lot of time talking about post-incarceration syndrome and being able to recognize those um, those symptoms and those things. And, and for her, you know, especially um, with her husband, she mentioned how, you know, they did really well for the first three years. And then it was kind of like, whoa, like, you know, I don't know. So, Miss Sheila, if you want to go ahead and yeah, so it got really toxic because he was dealing with some things. And 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 I would say this. How long has your dad been home? Um going on six years. Six years. Mm -hmm. Five, six years. Yeah. Have 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 you all had a conversation about his experience in in prison, any trauma and all of that? You know, that's one thing I'm afraid, honestly. I'm afraid. I am so afraid. I, I think I took my daddy sushi one time, and, and it was the most funniest thing ever. It's like I ain't, so I ain't never had no sushi before, and I'm like, I don't know why I brought this man to get sushi. It's probably the most disingenuous thing I've probably ever done as a son. But, um, but we went and sushi, and I think we had we talked about it briefly, briefly, and I and I and I remember that night. I'm like. I'm like, we have a series of conversations to have. Cause I'm like, I know it's so much more. And so no, I I no, like maybe, but again, I he, he went around 
a lot of things. I'm yeah. like, I know that ain't all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he and he won't tell you all or he doesn't know how to have that conversation. Have you ever mm -hmm. asked your dad, dad, do you think prison affected you? Has he ever said whether well, prison has affected him or not? Or is he or is he good? Like some I'm good. I'm good. Have you ever asked yeah, your dad that? I'm, I've never asked him. And I and I'm and I'm like, you know, again, I'm like kind of afraid because I don't know, you know, I'm I think I'm I'm afraid of the lie and I may be afraid of what you know, I don't know how he may take it, you know, like me just asking him or let me tell you but, something. you know, I just I just don't know. Let me tell you something. Your dad loves you. You love your dad. And just having the knowledge that I have now and the effect that incarceration has on a person sometimes they want somebody to bring the conversation to them they just want somebody you bring it to them and they just may start talking but if you just you know ask him just ask him dad you know things are a little different you know we used to chop it up in the, in the, in the uh, visitation room and now we don't have that kind of conversation we don't talk like that just ask him man to me dad do you think prison has affected you i just want to share something right quick y'all uh so people can understand when you said how your grandmother said my son ain't the same no more your grandmother ain't the only one saying those things you know there's so many a mother was saying this is not my son I don't, he's so isolated. He shuts down. Either he shuts down or he's aggressive. One or the other. Because prison does affect people. And, and when we get to the point where we ain't scared to talk about it, because if we talk about it, they're going to talk about it. This last post that I did, I mean, you had returning citizens saying, wow, you know, that's me. And that's me. They just want somebody to talk about it. So if we talk about it, and that's, I just want to encourage you just, just to ask your dad. Just ask him. You know, and give him the opportunity. If he say no, okay, take it like that. But you see a difference. You see a difference in the man that was in the visitation room and the man who come home. And it's a lot of family members say that. He ain't the same one that was in the visitation room. You know, he talking about what he going to do, this, that, and other, huh? And he's not the same, right? Because he has, and I have to put a disclaimer out there. Prison is not a one size fit all, you know, but no one leaves prison with their psyche entirely intact because there are those who are in denial. Not me or not my man. My man got a master's. Okay, he done read 12,000 books. He got a master's. <laughs> See what I'm saying? But he ain't deal with nothing on the outside. He's never deal with responsibilities, right? And that's one of the things that Kevin really hit me in my head and in my heart when I said to Kevin, I need you to be more responsible. And he turned and looked at me, and I'll never forget the look that he had in his face. And he says, Sheila, what is responsibility? He said, prison strips you of your responsibility because you're told what to do when you do it. And uh, so 
prison strips you of your responsibility. Most importantly, we as family members have to understand the psychological impact of incarceration. They go out, they go in, and they come out, right? And they come out most of the time, most dif different than they were uh, when they went in. But I just wanna share something uh, with uh, Jacquel for a minute, if I can, if I can find it, and this is uh, this is just some comments that family members have said about their loved ones when they came home, and this very first one, when this lady said this about her husband, I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, who could say something like that about their husband? But it was her truth. She said he's a barbaric and vile predator that the system unleashed from the chains that had him bound. That's her truth, right? And then a mother said, he's like a stranger. He was always affectionate. Now he can't express his emotions. He can't sit and talk. He's very unsettled. Prison has changed him. His personality isn't the same. Now, this is from a returning citizen. He said, prison completed the destruction of my personality and has conditioned me that I am near incapable of living in the free world. Prison has become the only place in which I can exist comfortably. The strain of living outside of prison, prison walls is painful and intense. And a lot of times our loved ones come home from prison and they can't deal. And they don't want nobody to know that they can't deal. And so they're suffering in silence. They're smiling on the outside, but they're dying on the inside. And a lot of them end up committing suicide. So we have to be willing to talk about it. And yeah. Jaquel, I say to you, my young brother, just ask your dad. Just ask him. You know what I'm saying? He may just want to have an opportunity to talk about it. And like, if he don't, okay. But I guarantee you just by what you said, that prison has affected your dad to the level of, of uh, to, to what degree, I can't say. But most definitely prison has affected your dad. May I say something? Um... I, I noticed that you said that you wrote a lot of letters to your father in prison. Both both of you exchanged a lot of letters. And that says to me that that is your strongest way of communication. Because sometimes speaking is not, everybody doesn't know how to actually have a conversation. So your best bet is to probably have that conversation through letter. Open up the conversation, send the letter and have him send it back. That way... You don't have to have the awkward silence or right. you know the looking the facial expressions because that can also put a lot of people, you know, off if they see your reaction to right. what it what it is that they might have went through, right? Or vice versa. Yeah. So being if that's your strongest communication point, that's where you should probably start off yeah. and build that com that relationship now that he's home. Yeah. Letter. And that's what I uh, also, you know, encourage family members because they're like, I can't talk to him every time I, I just, you know, he goes off or whatever. 
And so I used to, you know, have to write Kevin emails, but this is the thing. I always open them up with, hear my heart, hear my heart. So when I say hear my heart, I mean, I come in peace. I ain't trying to beat you up, you know, but I got to get this stuff out of my head and I have to let you know what I'm, I'm thinking. So writing letters is, and my thing is this, write a letter, don't type it. Yeah, right. Just, 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 just write it out and let him see, you know, my son took the time to hand write me a letter, you know, just to say, maybe you want to say, dad, I wish we talked more like we used to talk. Give him that opportunity. Sometimes they don't know how. They don't know how. And that's 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 a lot with the just just black men in general. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, I hear Jacquel saying him and his dad definitely have a strong love and connection for one another. Um, and, and by no means, Jacquel, where we just get you on here to uh, get in therapy. That's not what we were doing. Um, but it just it created an opportunity um, based upon your own conversation for us to kind of say, yeah. You know, and I say this to anyone who loves someone, um, allow people to unpack with you, allow people to be vulnerable, allow people mm-hmm. to have that space where they can really just kind of open up and um, share with you, because um, that's something that's important to me. I want to I want people to know that they can be completely open with whoever they are, you know, good, bad, ugly and different and Regardless of that, if I if I ride with you, you know, I'm going to help you unpack, especially if it's something that, um, you know, I see that you're not unpacking. You know, I'm not going to pry and poke, but, you know, sometimes um, and I can say this as a very strong person. Nobody checks on me. You know, nobody asks me how I'm doing or, you know, if I can if they can help me with something. Um it's always me checking on somebody or being a listening ear for somebody downloading. And so that, that can be really difficult. So, you know, just in this conversation, we just want you to write your letter to your dad, because I know how much you love your dad. Um, You've clearly expressed that. And, and the effort that he put into his relationship with you shows just how much he loves you as well. And so I don't know, you know, sometimes stuff gets awkward in any type of relationship. Right. Yeah. Um, And I don't want to make light of this conversation at all, but I do want to highlight um, some some work that Jacquel has put together for us um, just in closing. Um, So I want to share we're going to go a little bit over today, but I will share with you all um, the trailer to his upcoming prison culture documentary. um, And hopefully, you know, we can pose some additional questions and anyone who is looking for Jacquel, um, you can locate him um, through Public Culture Entertainment Company, and you can send an email through publicculturemusic at gmail.com. Um, and so that will be a simple way for you to connect with him. And then, of course, you can find Ms. Sheila Bruno at um, Wife After Prison. I know you are on Facebook and Miss Bruno, if you can share your um, Instagram information, I believe it's also wife after prison. Mm-hmm. Across all my platforms, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, everything is wife after prison. So, and I, I thank you all for being here with us today. Did you guys have any like closing comments? I hate to cut the conversation short, but you know, we can, we can take your closings. 
Okay, so I'll just close with this, you know. Uh, one thing I had to learn is don't take everything personal because they don't know what they don't know. And like when they get out, they say, that I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And they get out and they don't do X, Y, and Z. And that's why I say, you know, don't take it personal because, again, they don't know what they don't know until they get out. And that's why it's so important that we as family members, we need to educate ourselves and feed the information to our loved ones. They may not need the one ahead. If you just got to give them one line per phone call, give them something to chew on, give them something to think about. Thank you, Ms. Bruno. I appreciate it. Jacquel, do you have anything you want to close us out with? Uh, sure. Um, so I, I, li I live by two, two slogans. Um, uh, one is, is is good love, healthy choices, and second chances, and the other is everyone dreams, values, and goals are worth the time and patience. And so um, those good. are two things that I, I live by daily. Um, realizing that everyone is deserving of good love, everyone is deserving of healthy choices, and everyone is deserving of a second chance. And mm -hmm. also understanding that um, everything that we do in this world, everything that we are you know, whatever reason and mission that we feel like we were putting on this earth to is that um, we must also understand that we must put effort and time into not only our own dreams, values, and goals, but also other people um, and understanding that that comes with a lot of patience. Thank you. That was beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Can you also, before you go, just, just let us know, um, why it was so important for you to uh, create a documentary that highlighted the behavior or mannerisms inside of prisons, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I think um, what it was, it was important to me um, to, to create this is because, you know, one, I'm, I'm from the South and, and I also just say that it's something interesting about Southern people. Um, there are some, some good things and, and, and bad things um, about just Southern people in general. And I think one of the things is, as I continue to, uh, you know, create more um, art is a lot of it's going to be focused on um, a lot of things that happen in the South. And so I, I you know, because, you know, it, this particular issue is the reason why I became the person I am. You know, at, at such a young age, being so inquisitive about prison and prison culture from my dad, just going on visitations and hearing the things that he say, how they make things, how they do things, how they just everything. It was just like, how you, you know, that you got a tattoo, how, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're charging your phone, how, um, <laughs> it is so many things. I was just so inquisitive and so. Um, and what and what was even funny now and I'll end here. And, you know, they say every black man, you know, will experience prison or jail at some point. And I and I would say that I have. Um, but you know, I it was so interesting that I was able to easily adapt to my two weeks in jail um, because of my dad. Mm -hmm. I just I just okay okay cool. This is what he say. You do this. This is what he done. It was just so easy to adapt to it. Cause I, I'm like, okay, you know, and my, my dad had a cell phone. So I had my phone call. I'm like, yo, 
I'm like, grandma told you, huh? Like, he's like, yeah. And so, you know, I'm like, we, we talking, we talking to each other. Um, but I was able to adapt to those 10, those two weeks, those two weeks in prison because of my father. And, and also, I mean, I think that it was just, it was important to me to create this also because um, we need answers, we need solutions. Um, and I was telling someone earlier, you know, this project was created as a response to Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary. Um, very great project, very heavily informative project. But, you know, people watch that and like, okay, what the hell do we do now? I mean, I think that this is a project where you actually don't just get, you know, the same celebrity people onto a TV screen and talking about things that they probably can't relate to. And, you, or, you know, you actually got people who truly are, truly have been affected by prison, uh, mass incarceration. Um, you have those who've been inside, those who have family members on the inside, um, those who have supported, you know, whether legally um, or just an activist. Um, this is what this project is. And so I'm, I'm glad to be able to create something and, and, you know, soon to be on a major streaming network where you're not seeing familiar faces, you're seeing, you're seeing new people and people who are truly affected by something that needs to be talked about. And that's why I think it was important for me. Wow, it's amazing. Thank you so much. McKinney? Yes, that's excellent work. Um, thank you all for being on the show. And I can't wait to actually see the finished product of your film, because I think it's going to educate a lot of people and bridge the gap between folks that don't even understand how people like us can all be affiliated with incarceration or experience it directly. And those who are almost prone to it based on the system that we live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. That's and, 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 I, and lastly, I think it's just also important that we start talking about things that's going on in the South in general. It, it's different. It's just completely different education, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, you can, you know, you see and hear things about New York, California, Texas, but it's like, like Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, it's, it's a, these are some different beasts. And so the prisons in these states, it just is not got to be, un, it, the beast has to be unleashed and someone has to talk about it. And everyone I've talked to is like, even people in networks, they're like, you know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing and, and I'm willing to accept whatever come with it. And yes. so we need to start opening the doors and open up conversations about, you know, prisons in the South, education in the South, um, everything Southern related. I think it's different. It's just different. And I think, and I was talking about one of my friends said, I, he, he said all the time, I, he said, I truly believe slavery had a lot to do with the way people in the South maneuver. It's, mm -hmm. just, it's just completely different, yeah. completely, completely different. It is different. <laughs> yeah, so. most definitely. Well, are you ready for us to show show your snippet uh, and then? Ab we'll... ab absolutely. All absolutely. right. So I'll show the trailer <laughs> and then we'll end the broadcast. So I thank you all for uh, joining us today on another episode of Second Chances, and we will see you again in a, not next week, but the week after. Mm -hmm. And give me just one moment. Let's see. See a dead body? Do you want to see a dead body? 
Seven inmates were killed. Seven inmates dead. Seven inmates are dead and more than a dozen are wounded after a riot broke out inside a maximum security prison. For several years, uh, the prison system had been struggling with uh, understaffing. Security. Blood and feces and stuff all in the shower. Doing bodily fluids. Underfunding. You couldn't go in there and take like actual shower, shower. You had mold everywhere. There is not enough services in the prison, period. You have mental health patients. It just was hard to actually take in all that. The police gone. Ain't no police around, no medical attention. This shit here ridiculous. When other officers let other individuals from other dorms coming over to where I was working to put them in the box. I was left in the dorm by myself with over 100 incarcerated individuals. They had transferred over 300 violent offenders into the Lee County Correctional Facility. They took rival gang members that were considered threats. They transferred these prisoners that had just committed the same type of acts that they committed in April. And placed them all in the same dormitory. We have to get more caring staff. And stop seeing inmates as just numbers. Well, I think the Department of Correction has dropped the ball in a lot of ways. I don't believe that prisoners should exist. These people need to come in and help these individuals navigate their way through the prison. We need to talk about other mechanisms of punishment. Whatever type of time that they're doing because it's a battle. At the end of the day, that could have been prevented. 